welcome to Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? How you been doing? Just checking in today on you. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is your girl, Diamond, and I have a special guest for the show. And this is somebody I've been knowing for a long time. I ain't seen you in a minute. I ain't seen you since fucking Harvey. <laughs> I think um, I think we um, we went out to the movies um, for Harvey because I was stuck in fucking L.A. This is a friend of mine that I have known. I have... We met for the first time then, but I've known him because he has been, you know, kind of on the Internet almost just as long as me in regards to sharing our story. Right. I think so. Yeah. So when did you when did you start um, recording your transition? What year? Um, I think I put my first video out on YouTube maybe about 10 years ago. Yeah. So around well, close to the same time. And so. Um, I started following him just like I was doing a lot of the trans people who were telling their story on YouTube. And, you know, we just became online friends. And then we met up during Harvey and you were friends with with my gay son. And we all had just like a just a cool friendship. And so when we met, he was a cool guy. And I was like, um, I always wanted him to come on the show and talk about his experience and, you know, where he is now. And so, yeah. Welcome, Walter. Thank you. you. So tell me, um, tell me about how you grew up. Tell me where you from. Tell me your family union. Tell me about your tribe, your people, how you grow up. I'm from a really small town uh, in Georgia. I was born in a little city um, right in South Georgia, uh, very rural. And uh, I grew up in a a big family. I've got a lot of siblings, uh, three brothers, three sisters. Um, and so we grew up, uh, I guess a little, you know, a little poor, um, I would say, cause there were so many of us and just being in that area, but we grew up close, um, family life, uh, was mostly pretty good for me until probably I would say about the age of 12 or 13. Um, I started to have, uh, just some issues, um, some behavioral things, um, that was around the time that I was kind of finding myself and who I was um, and gender identity, sexuality. And um, I had been writing some letters to um, a girl that lived next door to me. And uh, my mom found these letters. Uh, well, my brother, actually, my younger brother, and he gave them to my mom. And that kind of sparked a lot of tension in the household because just growing up in that rural environment, my mom was uh, very heavy in the church. A lot of my family was very heavy in the church. And um, so that kind of led to really uh, a rebellion um, from me on my end. Um, I, was, I wasn't really allowed to do many things. I wasn't allowed to uh, go outside really to, to you know, to, to be social anymore, to have interactions with people. So uh, I guess I, I began to rebel. I began to run away from home. 
Um, and I actually ended up spending a lot of my childhood, my my teenage years in and out of uh, behavioral programs um, in the state. So I think that um, that shaped a bit of my personality coming up. Um, I was in there during a lot of my adolescent period where you kind of are finding yourself and, you know, the people that you're surrounded with, they're kind of shaping your personality too. Um, so I spent a lot of time there that created a bit of tension with my family um, just because I felt like, you know, they had sort of put me there at this time. Um, by our Iraqi relationship. Um, but I, I ended up getting out. Um, and of course, uh, I went back to be with my family. And um, I mean, things are, they're different now. They're a lot different, of course. This has been like, you know, 15, 16 years. So things are a lot different. I say we have a really good relationship now, but um, I don't know, were you about to ask me something? I saw that. Yeah, I was about to ask you about the facility because I, I there's a story <laughs> that I talk about in um my past um I have a series on my channel called the love beneath and I is it's basically like a series talking about coming of age as a trans woman as a queer child mm -hmm. just going through different different things and one time I grew up in a group home and um well later on in in my in my teen years and I had got, I kept getting the fights in the group home. <laughs> I kept getting into fights with the boys because I was with the boys and they would try and I would fight, 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 fight. So this one time I had gotten a fight with a guy and the guy, the guy that I got in a fight with, we were in kind of a puppy love relationship that nobody kind of knew about. And so because of that kind of romantic tension and sexual tension and all that kind of stuff, it kind of led to us fighting a lot. And yeah. so um, I got we I got into it or something and I had I had bit him and blood was drawn and the people were like, oh, hell no, nah, you got to get the fuck out of here. You crazy. And so they put me in a place called um, it was in Indianapolis and it's called um, Pleasant Run. It was called Pleasant Run. And it was always funny to me is places like this has always got those <laughs> happy go lucky ass fucking days. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And so it was called Pleasant Run. And when I got in there, it was such a and I tell this story on um, on my channel, but it was such a interesting group of people like it ranged from regular regular people to like. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, <laughs> and me coming into the place as I and I, I'm not trying to be ableist or nothing, but I felt like I was normal. And so when I got into the space, I was like, "Why the fuck am I here? Like these people are crazy. You got this fucker who is pissing on himself, <laughs> and you got this girl who is." shaking and fucking rocking back and forth and i'm sitting here like what the hell is happening why am i here and so i'm literally talking to like the counselors of the place and i'm like i'm really not supposed to be here i am you know i'm a queer person motherfuckers be trying to bully me so i'm gonna fight and that's what it's gonna be it's not about me being you know like um it's not about me having 
And for me, it didn't feel like I I needed help behavioral issues. This was my response to the toxic environment that I was in. And so sometimes I'm going, to, you know, just how I was. People, if somebody's bullying me, I'm going to fight. I'm not just going to. I've never been the person that kind of rolls over and, you know, with my tail between my legs and just let people just do stuff to me. And so I, I'm wondering how your experience was there. Was it, was it how, when you got there, did you, did it, I, I was I'm trying to compare our experiences in that type of facility. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of fighting and, uh, to it, to what you said, um, kind of how you were in the relationship with this guy and they created a lot of tension. I think that, um, obviously, you know, this is when I was coming up, this is a program for girls, for adolescent yeah. girls. And, you know, the relationships tend to form pretty quickly and that can be really volatile. Then there's, yeah, I would say there was a lot of fighting. Um, and yeah, I had to fight a lot. Um, and especially when you come from, I was kind of bounced around from different facilities and, um, you know, when you're new, then people, of course, want to test you and see what you're about. And um, I got into a lot of that, which led to staying in there longer. Um, and some of the places that I, I was in, one place I was in, actually, uh, this was one of the worst. It was called Kingsley Facility uh, for Girls. I'll never forget this. And they actually shut this place down because there was so much uh, like sexual allegations against the staff. There were a lot of staff and child relationships there and this place got mm. shut down for that but that was one of the worst there was we used to fight every day in that bitch <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was it was bad like that you know yeah. just yeah that was one of the worst places i was in but um as crazy as it is you know um i was still able to form some bonds in there um maybe not from that particular place but there's still people that i'm in contact with from some of those places they weren't all bad people you know sometimes you find yourself in a bad situation i'm the same way because there and there is see and we may not be as close as we were when we were in there because we were literally going through something together that mm -hmm. brought us together but there is a um the, i don't want to say a brotherhood because i'm not a brother right now <laughs> but because it there there's some type of siblinghood that is that happens because even recently the, the one that I was talking about that was fucking pissing on himself he's kind of like a normal adult now <laughs> um, and and I and we we re, he sent me a request and we were talking and I was like god david I'm so proud of you like you you really have grown into a man and you know, he's, he has a wife, he's, he's, you know, it's seemingly like he is happy in his relationship with his wife and he has children and, and he hit me back and he was like, you know what? That means so much to me because you were somebody that I looked up to because you took care of me while you were, while I was in, while you were in the group home with me, while you were in the facility with me, like, I always, you always looked out for me. Why, even though you weren't a staff member, you treated me like a mother figure and literally his words. And I was not, I was not, in, I was young. So it was very, very early in my queer history <laughs> of, um, of who I was, but in, in, in that space, 
he recognized my nurturing quality. And even now, you know, him affirming me in that way and saying that, you know, you always looked out for me and I knew I could always trust you in that space. And he wasn't the only one. It was tons of dudes that um, I, I want to say all. I think it's only one that I did one that I didn't really have a good relationship with. But all the ones that I that 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 lived there, I have either had over the years had some type of conversation. They have added me on Facebook. They have done something that informed that there is still a connection there and they have fond memories of me. Yeah. And um, you know, it just it's, it was it's a kind of beautiful thing. So I I totally understand where you're coming from when we're talking about that was a moment in time, and even though we're not super super close, um, we share that experience, and it's like a I don't know, it's it's like a siblinghood where you know I kind of I care about what happens to them. I care yeah. about even though they're not my my blood relatives, I I would have a I would have a tender moment if I found out one of them passed or, um, you know, I want I want them to be successful. And so, yes, there is a camaraderie with some of the people that you do meet there that people may not understand. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel the same way. I, I still keep up with uh, a lot of them, mainly through Facebook. But, you know, um, I, when good things happen to them, it's like my other friends that, you know, maybe you don't talk to every day. You feel joy when something good happens for them. And it's like you said, if something bad were to happen, that would, you know, that would affect you in that way, too. It's like at some point, at some day that those people were really all you had. You know, you didn't right. have your family there with you. Um, and that was who you leaned on. And they they weren't just friends. They were your family. In the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did it shift? How did it, when did it started to shift to something more positive or um, when you got in a more independent situation, how did it shift? Well, um, I stayed in there until I was almost um, 18 years old. Um, I just kind of went from different programs to programs. There was always problems, either too many fights or something else, but I ended up getting out. um, And then I went back to stay with my family uh, because I wasn't 18 yet. And they had moved to a new state. And I was like, well, maybe things will be different here. Maybe we'll go try that out. And things did become a little bit better, but it was still kind of hard trying to be myself in that space. Um, It wasn't as bad as it was before because I was close to being an adult. But at the time, I was I was focused on finishing school, um, high school and getting off into college, like to sort of get away from them. I think. Going to school for me was probably the the best decision that I ever made. Um, it allowed me some time to get away from my family and grow and also learn some things about myself and learn what I really wanted to be. But I think that's when things uh, became better when when I left away from my family, but not in a negative sense, you know, when I was off doing things for, for good on my own. Um, so, yeah, I think that's when things started to change. Mm. Were you in school when you were on YouTube? I was. I had just uh, started school um, when I got on YouTube. So what made you start to share like your story? What what inspired that? Well, you know, um, there was a guy that I was watching. I can't remember his last name now, but I think his first name is Xavier. And I saw him on YouTube and um, I always had this feeling of feeling different. His name is and, hey, you know, hey, Zay. 
Maybe. Yeah. It might be. Hold on. I'm going to show them to you. Mm. All his pages are on lockdown. <laughs> uh, he was brown skin and he was from the East Coast. Yeah. Yes. I think this is that much I remember. Xavier listens. Hey, Zay. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He's Shout one out. of the. He's one of the trans men that I met on YouTube during that time. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um. So I I saw his video and just to back up a little bit, uh, I, there was something that I didn't mention when I was in some of those programs. I would tell my counselors that I was a boy, or that I felt like a boy, and they would tell me that the only thing that was going to result in was me staying in there longer. I wasn't really taken seriously. And I put that out of my head for a while, you know? Um, and when I saw his video and he was talking about how his experiences and how he felt, that was the first transgender person that I ever saw that I could identify with. Um, I watched some of your, your uh, other videos and I saw that you mentioned um, kind of, being able to see some of the transgender people on Jerry Springer. And that was the only thing that I ever saw. I remember my, that was a routine. My parents had, they used to watch Jerry Springer every night at 10 o'clock and Jerry Springer would come on. And that was the only time I could ever see transgender people. And, but I didn't think that was realistic. You know, I thought that was kind of like sensationalized. These people are on TV. This is not really real. But when I saw Xavier, um, his story really resonated with me. And I started just kind of allowing myself to really tap into what I was feeling. And then once, you know, I guess I was really sure about who I was, I wanted to be able to share that experience with other people and kind of do the same thing that he had done for me, you know, which is just to reach people. And um, that's kind of why I wanted to tell it. Yeah, I think Xavier, when I would listen to him, he was so thoughtful first of all thoughtful and really discussing it it was a lot of times trans guys or trans women too they'll get on um but definitely trans guys because i think uh i think because the t changes how the communication a little bit uh, to me i think um it, sometimes it turns them less talkative i think and so it, it, a lot of times when they're they're recording themselves it's really just straight to the point. It's really just, this is how long I've been on T or this is how long it's been. I'm posting. <laughs> um, they're not really discussing shit. They're not really, really yeah. breaking it down. But Xavier really, really went into detail about what he was feeling about various shit, not just like surgeries or that. He just was very, very um, detailed of, of his own self-reflection. And I love that. That's the type, that's my shit. And so I was like, um, he is one of the one of the people that I really, you know, I subscribed to and and watched. And um, he just was really thorough in his analysis of himself and his analysis of the world. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned him because he was quite important to me too. Yeah, uh, I always enjoyed his videos. Uh, I do feel like they had a little bit more in-depth comment than just like. You know, hey, this is my fourth week on T. I've got some facial hair coming in. Um, it was a bit more to it than that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with those videos. You know, we need to see the physical changes too, but yeah. he had a bit more than that. Yeah. You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101. Whoa. Now, listen, I know that what is basic Trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you. So, this is for your basic ass. <laughs> for me
15th, 2020, workforce discrimination against transgender people is against the law. Just because of the landmark Supreme Court case, Bostock versus Clayton County. Now, just because laws change, that doesn't mean that transphobes change. The motherfuckers stay the same because they dusty and ashy and they're going to keep coming back like bacteria vaginosis if you're fucking with a dirty dick trade. But what do I know? I don't have a vagina. But anyway, I'm willing to bet that if you're listening to this show, that you're at least interested in trying to dismantle transphobia. Well, I hope. And I know that we like to parade trans people's trauma out like a beautiful Clydesdale pony just to get y'all to see our humanity. Just to get you to empathize or care. Just a little bit. I know we love to do that. But personally... I think that our joy is just as important as our trauma. And if you put joy at the center of a solution, more than likely it's going to work to solve some of the issues that we have. For example, you know what brings me joy? Not having to worry about how I'm going to get my bills paid. Not having to worry about how I'm going to eat the next day. Not having to worry about how I'm going to pay for my medications. Not having to worry about anything financial. You know what helps people with finances? Having a job. Securing a job. Securing a business. Getting support around securing a business. Those things, that security that comes with being financially secure... Brings me motherfucking joy. Coins. Coin security. That brings me joy. You know how you, yes, you, the individual, you know how you can help trans people get a coin. You can recruit them at your job. If you're a hiring manager, you can hire them at your job. If you are a trainer of some type of trade, you can train them. If you are somebody that has a way to set up people's LLC, you're a lawyer or something like that, you can have discounted rates. You can do it pro bono and go after trans clients. Anything that you have to offer in your circle that can make a workplace safer for trans people you don't even have to be the hiring person but how are you holding your company accountable for diversity there policies that feel inclusive are you asking the right questions i know you're trying to keep your job i understand we're not asking you to buck up against the system and start a riot at work but are you asking questions Are you just coming to work? Like, what exactly are you doing to make your workplace, your wherever you work, safe for trans people? 
with the power that you have. Now, I know you may not be the boss. You may be a low-level worker or anything like that. If you're not and you do have power, bitch, I'm definitely talking to your ass. But if you're a low-level worker, are you asking questions? How are you standing in solidarity with trans people in the workforce? Because I think if a lot of people are doing that, we can have more trans people working and providing for themselves and not taking risks that they don't want to take just to survive. I think we really have to make sure that we are putting effort and intention in bringing trans people to jobs and opportunities jobs and opportunities when we think about diversity it's multiple things disabilities gender race class education when we think about diversity we have to be more hmm, we have to be more intentional about diversity actual diversity not just race <laughs> not just gender you know everything so make sure that your job is doing what they need to do to get trans people hired. You got a position at your church that pays people? Hire a trans person. You want to make your little boring Zoom panel cool? Hire a trans person to be on the panel talking about something that has nothing to do with their transness because we are experts in other things other than transness too. I'm excited for you already. And don't be coming with them bullshit-ass budgets. Talk about we got 254 you. We got $100, $100 for you. Pay people that you hire equitably if you have the control of where the money goes in the budget. Pay equitably, not equally. Equitable. That means some people are going to be paid less and some people are going to be paid more. You think I'm going to hire a black disabled trans woman to come on my panel and pay her the same amount that I'm going to pay the white man that I invited? No. Equitable. Equity, not equality. And if you don't understand the difference between equity and equality, Google it, bitch. This has been Trans 101. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So, not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts, I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community and i know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here so you're not only helping to sustain us you're helping to sustain other people in a community because i put my money where my mouth is you know that's just the kind of bitch i am community is fuck <laughs> so thank you i really really appreciate you and if you have not become a patron why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. 
so one of the things that really um I remember about your story is that when you got top surgery, you shared your experience and World Star posted the video on their platform. Right. And it went viral. Tell me about that experience. I was doing a video in a trans youth group. And the video was just on something simple. I think it was, why did you uh, choose the name that you have? And so um, I was talking about that. And just like we made these videos every week, every week there was a topic and we posted the video like normal. And somehow uh, this one took off, but uh, someone had it, you know, submitted to World Star. And I think it was a couple of days before Christmas that I found out. Um, I have a friend uh, that from high school, this Honduran dude I'm friends with, and he's a real big jokester. And he texts me and was like, you know, you're on World Star. And I was like, oh, nigga, you know, shut the fuck up. Like, you know, he was like, no, nah, nigga, you're really on World Star. <laughs> and then so I went to like that page for the day and there was already like thousands of comments. And I mean, most of them were from women, like, you know, and they didn't really have a lot of negative things to say. But the stuff that was on there was that was bad, was bad. Like people were just saying crazy things like, you know, kill it with fire and, you know, like um, that I should be dead or. Um, you know, people just saying weird things, lying to say, you know, saying that they had sex with you and that, you know, they knew you previously. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that uh, people were saying like that. And um, I didn't really see anything like, you know, death threat wise or anything like that. But there was a lot of people that were saying that I should be dead or that I was an abomination and that I shouldn't be alive. Um, I think at the time um, when that first happened, Maybe about a week afterward, I sat and read almost every comment. Like all the, the you thousands down of comments, the I read them all. <laughs> yeah, I did. I read them all. And um, why do you think time, that was? I, why? Why do you think you was drawn to do that? Um, I don't know. I guess uh, part of me was angry, but then I still felt really drawn to know what people were saying about me um i felt like i didn't care but obviously there was some part of me that did care i needed to know what they were saying not even for the the self-validation just i needed to know you know um what people had to say about me i felt like i had been broadcast for everyone to see and now i kind of needed to take in all these thoughts and and react to it i needed to for some reason um it was just how i thought about it i guess and, it, and, and when you get to that level of um, in in that kind of space, that level of, you know, like, like, like I said, viral, it's so many. It's like a mixed bag because, yes, you got the extreme, you kill it with fire, da, 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 you know, shit like that. But you also got people that's like. Y'all talking shit, but this motherfucker fine. <laughs> you get yeah. what I'm saying? They, it's, yeah. it's like a mixture of affirmation, but like weird, transphobic shit. It's like, a, you know, so you, you'll you have, because I like I looked at the comments too. It had nothing to do with me, but I still look because I'm a trans person. <laughs> I want to see right. what it, you know, what was. I do the same is. thing. And, you know, I would see various things. They would say, oh, Oh, he would get me like I would see girls, you know, saying like, oh, he fine. He would get me. 
I, I, I would hook up with him and it would be just just such a amalgamation of so many different things that, you know, it, it was it was very, very strange. And it's in the sense of I don't in me looking on the outside looking in, I was like, I don't know how I would handle this situation. I think that I, I would hope that I would handle it um, at the time. I don't know if I would handle it. How old were you? I think I was 22 or 23. Yeah, I don't think I would have handled it th- the mature way at 22. <laughs> I, I, I feel like if I was at the time, it the time that I was that, that it happened, how old I was then, um, I was close to 30. Um, and and for me, at 30, I don't think I would have had it immature, but I think I would have forced myself to ignore it. Cause I think if it happened now, I would ignore it. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah. I don't think I would, but I think at 22 at 20, anything under 25, <laughs> I'd have been like on it. <laughs> like what's happening? And I was too. I was up all night. <laughs> just <laughs> Refreshing the page, you know, just to see like what, <laughs> what it was about. And, you know, uh, it really was crazy, but you know, uh, there were a lot of backhanded compliments in there too. Like how you said, like some of the women had things to say. There were a lot of people that would say things like, Oh, he, she could get it, you know? And I think at the time it was almost upset me more than the direct, uh, like the direct threats or, you know, insults, because I felt like, you know, in their mind, they really would think that that was acceptable. I guess, um, those, I, I really didn't like the the he she. So what I always also looking back at that, I always I always say this is literally a reflection of you. Like uh, not of you, but of the people who are making <clears throat> these comments. This really it is it gets to a point where it's no longer about us, our transness. It is about how your queerness is manifesting in you. It, you get what I'm saying? Cause then it's cause sometimes it, it gets to, it reveals people's queerness, uh, it, the mm. ar- arbitrary nature of their sexual orientation, <laughs> you know, because if, uh, if all this time you've dated, um, you know, you dated what you seem to be cisgender, cisgender, um, normal person. And then all of a sudden you come in contact with this queer thing, this, and I'm saying thing not to be disrespectful, but just to, just as a mysterious thing that you may not have come in contact with. If all of a sudden, just because this person is attractive, you're willing to switch it all up. It, that's a, that's a reflection. That's a, re, that's a, 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 a revelation of how fluid sexuality can be. And then also right. if you, if, if you see a person doing them and this has nothing to do with you and your first inclination is to want me to die or want me to be harmed or to get to that, that says, who does that say? Who, you don't like me because of something that you think what is a sin or is wrong, is an abomination, but you're literally revealing that you are the evil person. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm over here Absolutely. doing me in a in a in a yeah. way that's not harming anybody. I'm literally 
making choices about my own body, doing things to my own, doing what I want to do. But you literally are talking about harming me for doing that when it has nothing to do with you, which reveals that you're an evil person. It's just, it's a mirror to me. It's always feels, it's always felt, our existence always felt like a mirror. Yeah. I I would agree with that. I think, um, like, the natural instinct is to want to, you know, to get mad. But when you really think about it logically, like you're saying, then it is true. They, for being just open and free and wanting to be yourself, then they express these negative opinions of you. And even to the point of, yes, wanting you to die, wanting bodily harm to come to you. And why? For what? You know, me being myself and living my life is not imposing any threat or any risk to you. It doesn't threaten anything that you stand for, no matter what you think. You know, me occupying this space and being me doesn't bring any threat to you. But yeah, you wanted me to die. Yeah, that's I get exactly what you're saying. Mm. And then I also think about in the sense of does it, it it may not bring a physical threat, but I feel like our transition, us transitioning really shakes up all the rules that they have was raised up on the rules of what a woman should do, what a woman should be, what a man should do, what a man should be. Um, All the rules, all the religious rules, all the cultural rules, all the social rules, all the rules. We really saying, fuck that shit. We're going to do something else. And that you feel what I'm saying? That can that can make them feel either insecure or or like how dare you like how dare you like uh, even even if they wanted to do something that they didn't do it and didn't and not not necessarily about gender there's people who who because their family wanted them to be a doctor they have no interest in being a doctor but they live their whole life trying to be a doctor because their family wants them to be a doctor (laughs) there are people who really don't buck up of any don't buck up against any of the systems that is up against them any of the rules they just go with the flow and seeing us really just say fuck everything that bullshit y'all talking ain't shit. That we, fuck that. I'm gonna do something totally different. I think that brings in insecurity, and I think it also brings in envy. I think it brings in like a, a how dare you do this thing? That's whatever reason. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like how how could you think that it's okay to be yourself when I didn't take advantage of? opportunities that I wanted to or do things that I wanted to. And like you said, not necessarily about gender, but some people just don't know how to be uh, free to themselves, you know? Um, But I think um, a lot of that is, is changing even, you know, like uh, even outside of the transgender spectrum, you have a lot of like pushback on, you know, what, um, what are gender roles and what are the spaces that, you know, particularly women should be in. And um, I think a lot of that is changing for the better anyway. You know, these are things that should be questioned and should be pushed back on. And maybe it does threaten them in some way, but I feel like what it should really be doing is encouraging you. You know, when I see younger people being able to do things that I couldn't take, and it's going to, it happens to everybody, you know, Oh, you no matter how young you are, there's always every generation. <laughs> exactly. And you know, when I see those people, I feel happy for them. I don't feel like, oh man, they shouldn't do it because I was suppressed. You know, I feel like, hey, 
that it just wasn't the time for me, but I'm happy to see someone else being able to do it. You know, there's the kids now, you know, having coming out parties and being able to be supported with, you know, with whatever gender they are at five and things like that. You know, these are things that, you know, like I, I feel like we could have only dreamed of really, you know, but like you say, it doesn't have to be at all about gender. That's just something that I relate to. But um I think that just goes back to just a hateful heart. You know, if you don't know how to see joy and other people being themselves and it just speaks volumes really about you. Thanks. So speaking of, um, let's, let's switch the conversation. Cause I know that you are into tech and technology and I find that quite fascinating because, you know, just, just on the conversation of, you know, rules about gender and rules about and rules about the roles and what we can and can do. I come up on the tail end of the time where, you know, a lot of times girl children and boy children were literally even based on their toys being geared in a particular direction. You had, um, and I think about the toys, my mother, um, had a best friend who had a daughter that was three years older than me. So they raised us kind of together and she had a girl. My mom had a boy, of course. And, you know, it was good for them because they were best friends and they could buy toys for a girl and buy toys for a boy, you know, because they would be doing it for us. And so it, it was quite amazing as I grew up because, you know, my, my cousin, would have you know the barbies the the malibu the barbie car the the house the she had all of the black dolls like the ebony's the courtney's she all her dolls were black and she had a couple of white ones but um most of her dolls were black and it was all geared towards their clothes their hair um she had an easy bake oven she had all these things that were literally gearing her to do girly quote-unquote feminine girly stuff and then my mother did the opposite i had um all the things and and even think about like legos legos is a very technical game or toy that's not you know what i'm saying legos is quite quite especially particularly for somebody who may be um pre um pre have a disposition a predisposition to you know, like be an engineer, Lego playing with Legos mm-hmm. is quite important in regard to that. But I didn't see a lot of girls growing up getting Legos for toys. Would they be playing right. with them if they came over my house? Sure. But I didn't see them g- being gifted Legos to have that kind of practice and that early exposure to creating things, building things in regards to that. But like I said, I come at the tail end. So there was a lot of overlap that was happening because, like I said, my cousin would come over my house and she would play with my trains and play with my cars and play with, you know, all of, you know, my etch and sketch. All the things that were I would think of now as an adult are like little technical things that would lead to me, you know, being technical. And so how did you get introduced to tech stuff? Was it later on in life or did you notice that you had, um, you know, uh, you were kind of geared towards that mindset early on? I think I kind of knew early on that I wanted to be an engineer. Um, I didn't really have um, 
it wasn't really so much any toys or anything that I played with. Um, I would watch my dad a lot, um, fixing things. Um, even now, um, still to this day, he can take apart the washer and dryer, fix it. He's always been that type of guy around the house. Like a, like a tinkerer. Yes, exactly. And I mean, it would amaze me, you know, anything that we had, um, he could fix it, a lawnmower, a TV, anything. And he would always try to get me and my brother involved in whatever task he had. And at the time, um, I didn't know what he was doing. You know, um, I would just think that he was, I don't know, having me, you know, be there for any reason. But he would, you know, have me stand over him or, you know, help him by passing the tools and, and showing me little things. And I think that's how I got interested in, first of all, wanting to just understand how things work. And um, from there, um, later on in school, um, I just realized like I had a good aptitude for science and math. And I kind of thought, you know, putting that I wanted to be an engineer. It wasn't um, until I was already really in school that I knew I wanted to work. Well, I should say um, the when I went to school, I went to school for aerospace engineering. And so that was what I got my degree in. And when I worked, but when I worked in the field, I worked as a mechanical engineer. So I was designing things and just kind of um, doing things that took motion, like pick and place and things like that. Um, but really what got me into the field where I'm in now, um, uh, which is like computer science and software engineering. Um, uh, I, I only got into this field for one reason. And that was because, um, I wanted to have really a better work-life balance. Um, I think that from a young age, I really always had an affinity for solving problems. I love to solve problems. I don't really care what capacity it's in, if the work is electrical, if it's mechanical, what it consists of. But I think something I didn't know when I was a child was about work-life balance. You know, I didn't know about, I just knew I wanted to be an engineer. I didn't know about working 60 hour work weeks. Um, and so I started to teach myself how to code um, in the evenings after work. And um, I got good enough to be able to get uh, my first job in coding. And from there, um, I kind of used them to build up my skills, build up my resume and to take another job. And um, that's what I'm kind of doing now. I'm, I'm doing that job and I'm just traveling. And um, so that, I guess that's kind of what's led me there. What's quite interesting is I, I run into um, trans techies all the time. One of the one of the people that I really really admire, um, Dr. Courtney Ziegler. He is black trans man, graduated from Northwestern, and he started off in like film. He's, um, he had a blog called um, Black Academics, and he did a film called Still Black. And um, recently, he has kind of shifted into creating software or apps that do something. So one of the things that um, that in the middle of the last decade he created was um, Abolition, um, which was which was an app to where you could donate like your change. Like, you know how the, those cards, when you swipe them, whatever your bill is, they'll round it up to the next dollar. Right but that money would go. He said you set it up to where that money would go to donation to a bailout, bailout fund to get people out of jail. Mm. 
and it was super super successful and it was quite like when when i when he launched it i was so amazed by it and i was like oh wow that is you know that's using technology in this space where we are um where we're talking about defunding the police and when we're talking about um you know abolishing prison system that's literally using your intelligence and your you know your skill around technology to really like help the fight in regards to putting that in a different in a in a different perspective um you know in use and i looked at it in a different perspective and then now currently he is in a fellowship a sundance fellowship where he is um covid something happened with covid and abolition um where he had to um dissolve it and then now he is create he created a um uh organization called Transhack he also um is now building a cost a cost sharing community app where everybody pays a small membership fee like a $5 membership fee to participate mm-hmm. and then he then what what the point is if you get in an emergency situation where you need to pay your rent pay your lights because you remember they'll just give you a grant to pay whatever you need to pay with the right. money and so it, it'll build an emergency fund for people who are a part of the program and i thought that i thought that was a that's an interesting way that he has pivoted to um you know help community because he, you know anybody who know courtney he's real <laughs> real critical of the community but what the the work that he does is really quite amazing and so that's the only t- black trans um trans guy that i know that's in tech i know his other ones um oh there was a, another black trans guy in that worked for microsoft um that i met in seattle and he is a part of their um, gender diversity, <laughs> not gender diversity, uh, diversity and inclusion program at Microsoft. And I met him and he sent me when I met him, we oh, connected nice. and he sent me tons of like video games and stuff. <laughs> it was kind of interesting. <laughs> it was wild. I'm not techie at all. Well, I want to say I'm not techie at all. I, I find it interesting, but the actual creation. No, I like to play with stuff. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like you know i like when it's created to engage with it um but yeah i just i don't i never think of cool stuff like y'all are doing <laughs> i did see um angelica ross from uh pose i haven't seen the show but i did see that um she uh is hosting one of the first uh trans tech uh summits yes. so she's going to be hosting that and um i didn't know that um like i said i'm not really that familiar with the show but i didn't know that her presence was as great in tech as it is and she talks about how technology kind of saved her life how she was able to um build herself up by learning photography and taking some photos of people like cedric the entertainer some other rappers and then just also designing uh the art for uh the guest passes and things like that and talked about how that was her segue into technology and uh i thought that was that was really interesting because she's pretty well known right you know yeah i try to i like you to i guess that's me i like utilizing it because i can't say that i'm not i like utilizing the tech that's what it's there for that's what it's there for (laughs) that's what it is you know 
that abolition app that you mentioned, no, it's such a interesting idea to me because um, I like the concept of that. Like you hear of other communities, you know, pooling their money together to start businesses and things like that. And just the use of technology to provide something for the community. I hadn't heard of that, but um, mm-hmm. that's really that's kind of mind blowing to me. I really like that idea. Yeah, it was a great idea. I thought it was amazing. He yeah. um, got a lot of people out of jail. It was it was quite. It was quite good. But, you know, you're right. It's a lot of communities that pull their um, money together. I remember, what's that movie? Joy Luck Club. There's a movie called Joy Luck Club where they, I don't know if they were using necessarily technology, but just the idea of community really coming together. And I think they were investing in stocks and really built, like the people who were in the group really kind of built their families up, their families' wealth up all the people in the group and i think it's a movie called i think it's called joy luck club but i'll i'm not 100 for sure but i think that's what it's called and you know i think it's interesting because i i feel like that is that is the potential for us to shift the tides you know in in a direction that is a little bit benefit you know a lot of bit beneficial for us but i just have a i have a hard time um trusting um trusting some things because it it, it's really it's the potential of people to get greedy and the potential for people capitalism can really (laughs) um tease somebody into doing things that are exploitative and you know it's hard for somebody for me as a person who is an anti-capitalist who um, and not look at the dangers of, um, you know, those type of situations and how that could be vulnerable and how could that could exploit, <laughs> um, you know, people who are trying to build community. And so that's the um, that's the only scary thing about those kind of tactics. I, it's it, it almost sometimes it almost feels like, well, what's the difference between this and Elon Musk, you know, who is using technology and it just grew to an Amazon or who is, you know, what's the difference between this and, you know, a Google, which is started off as a search engine that grew into this big ass corporation. What's the difference? And especially when we're looking at it now and how predatory that they, particularly Amazon, how predatory that they can be to their workers and predatory they can be to, um, you know, it's, that's the only scary thing to me. It's like, how does, can you even avoid that when you're growing in technology? Do you think you can? I mean, I would say that you can. Um, I don't know about anyone specific to technology, but I remember when um, there was a story that was headlined about the guy who makes the five hour energy. Um, you, you remember that guy? Yeah. And I think he, um, he gives away like 90 to 95% of his profits. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go that way to scale with it, but I think that, like I saw a meme earlier today that was saying how Amazon's basically on track to become one of the first ever trillion dollar companies, but they still have some of their well, some of their workers on welfare. Now, I think that's avoidable. I think there's all types of things. You know, you can afford to pay people a living wage. You can afford to have profit sharing. Um, you know, there's people that work in different aspects of the company, you know, they're entitled to points and equity in the same company. 
and they've kind of used a classist system to keep in people that work in some of the other fields or maybe some more of their more entry level positions or maybe they're not entry level. They're just not deemed what they want them to be. Um, they've taken away a lot of those advantages for them. And I absolutely think it's avoidable. I think they know what they're doing and it just it promotes classism. But what are you finding in, in the technology field that is, you know, something that's budgeting, a budgeting idea or something that you've been hearing about that's quite interesting to you? I don't know if this is necessarily interesting to anyone else, but this is what I've been spending um, my time learning for the past few months. But it's um, the technology that uh, Facebook uses for their web development. Um, and I guess uh, the way I would explain it is, you know, like when you like someone's status or you post a comment or anything, you know, you have some type of interaction with the page. Well, Facebook developed a system that no one else really had where you really only reload the parts of the page that have changed. And it takes a lot of memory and a lot of wear off of the servers and the DOM and some of the other things that you're using. And that's kind of what I've been spending a lot of my time on using that technology to kind of build some small apps um, that I've been working on, um, just apps where you can save like lists. I think, I mean, nothing that I could post to sell, but um, that's the technology that I've been working on learning right now. Um, a lot of companies uh, use it for a lot of their projects and I do some freelancing for other people. So outside of work, so it, it comes in handy, but um, I don't know. It's really, I, I guess it's really interesting to me because I, I kind of always thought of it that way and that this is so new. I always thought of, you know, how the web page has to reload when changes are made. And um, this idea of just taking like a small subset and only working with that is really interesting to me. Um, I know it doesn't sound interesting, but it, it, could, it, save, it can save a lot of money and a lot of time. Uh, I think that's why it's interesting to me. But um, it's fun to work with. Anything new is fun to work with. You've been trained for a long time. You, you get what I'm saying. You, you kind of in you in your you in your stride in your life. Like it's it's almost like your transness is like back door now. Whereas at first it was kind of so right here. Like has yes. have you gotten to the point where I know when you moved from Cali, you kind of moved in a better you you moved into a better financial situation moved to a better job, you moved to a better situation, and now you're in a shit, you're sitting in Spain, you know, doing an, an, another position. So have you moved to a place, are you in a place in your life where your transness is no longer front and center or a, or an obstacle? I think very early on, um, I had the ability to pass, and I kind of use that to stay still um, at work most of the time. Um, I don't really think I've ever had a job where I was openly trans. Um, maybe um, I had one friend, I think, that maybe knows that I don't work with anymore. Um, but I know that it's not a privilege that a lot of people have. And I did realize that very early on that um, because I I actually ended up working with someone um about two positions ago when I was in the mechanical engineering position and she came out as transgender um, and said that, you know, she wanted to, you know, what the pronoun she expected to be respected as. And uh, one of the things that I noticed really early on was that people weren't kind of respecting her 
behind her back. And so, um, you know, I, I stood up for her. Um, I would always correct them and uh, interject. But it was just kind of also one of those things where I realized, too, at that point that I never really had to go through that. Um, uh, I didn't have uh, any professional job at any time before I really transitioned. So um, and I, I mean, physically, like, taking you know, testosterone therapy. So I think that I kind of always had that privilege to where people did not know I was I was trans mm-hmm. at work. Is it, is it a fear? I wouldn't necessarily say it's a fear, especially not now. I think if you had asked me a few years ago, um, I would have said yes. And by a few, I mean even two to three. But I think now what I realize is that tech is becoming a really open and diverse field. And even the position that I work in now, one of the things that I actually like about my team that um, you won't really find many other places, about 95% of the people I work with are women. And this is a tech field. And um, that's so I, real, that's real surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're a great group, too. Um, I love working with them. But um, and no, not just necessarily work with women, but I think I found out what a welcoming field it could be like. Um, I'm taking classes right now for uh, some other programming languages. And one of the instructors, two of the instructors actually that we have are openly trans. They're both trans men, um, but they've kind of spoken about what led them to get into tech and kind of their struggles from some, from the past. And they ended up kind of, they briefly um, discussed it. You know, it wasn't really a big to do because um, it's not a specific trans setting, but um, yeah. Uh, I thought that that was a, uh, it was nice to be able to relate to them, even though I wasn't out. And I'm, I see, I see that a lot when I, when I see like companies that are trying to be inclusive, the tech companies really, I don't want to say all of them. I don't want to say, um, but to me, the ones that I've come in contact with, the tech companies are really, you know, leading the charge in, in, um, and including and being really, really inclusive and being, um, you know, have these unique spaces that you can exist in, in the field without actually, you know, without your uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, whatever being, um, being a barrier. I don't want to say it's totally free and clear, but, you know, I, I'm just seeing a shift more so in those kind of fields. Yeah, um, I would I would absolutely agree with you, too. I think that being in tech is some of the most free and kind of accepting group. Um, and that's just far as like as of opinions, of music, of anything. Um, and it's just like really a, a varying group. Um, a lot of weird people. I think we like it that way. Yeah. So. And I, I find it interesting that that's the case, particularly in the history of um, like, say, somebody like Lynn Conway, who um, is a white trans woman who transitioned at IBM. <coughs> I think in like the 60s, 50s, 60s or something. And when she transitioned, she was fired. Um, and then she got another position somewhere else and actually made like this fucking super, super advanced microchip processing technology that's taught all around the world now. Like the the processes, the, the processors that are in our computers today wouldn't exist if she didn't yep. lay the foundation 
of, you know, the, the technology of the process, the microchip. And so uh, it's quite yeah. that just that story alone is quite amazing because the, you know, think about all the things that microchips are in now from our television, from our phone, from our computers, from our, even our cars. Like she laid the foundation of making that, the, the process faster and more efficient. And, you know, to imagine that that's a trans woman and imagine that she went through getting fired, <laughs> potentially yeah. ruining her, her brilliance being stunted. That's wild to me. Yeah. And, uh, that uh her technology i think um the the circuit is the most widely sold item ever just yeah. ever that's been i think it was like a six trillion or something like that when I, I looked it up and i was just like wow you know and one of the things that i saw too was that um she was a little and i think anyone would be saddened by the fact that she wasn't really associated with her work um because of you know her past and things like that and she kind of had to build herself back up and um by taking i think she was working some contract positions before she got the the job at uh xerox but um I, yeah i think that you know more people should know about that that her those are because of her contributions because if you kind of, you know, look at the technology and research what it is and, you know, what it was, her name is not really tied to it at all. You have to kind of specifically look for her and know what you're looking for. Yeah, you know? exactly. Which so. is sad, but that's yep. why we here talking about her. Um, and, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, shout out, Lynn. Yeah, I, I feel like I learned about her a couple of years ago, I think in 2009. And, you know, I don't always pay attention to, you know, <laughs> the contributions of white trans people because they get real weird. <laughs> but sometimes real races real fast. But, yeah. you know, I, I bec- the importance of her work is really was undeniable. It was undeniable. And, you know, it was so powerful to where we are today in you know, I remember like um, it reminds me of even though this didn't didn't have anything specific to do with transness, but um, Reed Erickson. Have you ever heard of Reed Erickson? I don't think so. So Reed Erickson is a white trans man who his family owned a business in Louisiana. And when they passed away, the business grew. So and it was passed to him. Because he was the only child and he with the money, he he took over his parents business with the money. He bought some land. So not only did he start to be of wealth because of the business, he bought some land that had like oil reserves under the land. Oh, shit. So <laughs> oil money. <laughs> wore him out. And so he transitioned. And when he transitioned um, at that time, he ended, he ended up moving to um, California. And when he transitioned, he funded. And this is before the internet. He paid a researcher to collect and bring together and create an archive of nothing but trans shit. And it is the largest archive that we have now. <laughs> the Erickson, Erickson, Erickson Foundation created the largest, largest LGBT archive um, that we have in the world. And it's here in America. Oh, wow. 
because of his money. So that's that's one thing that he did. And he did some all kinds of other stuff. Like y'all have to look him up. But um just as pop and that's before any we had anything the you and he and he gave it away from free. It wasn't like he charged people to come to the archive. He literally right. created it so that it can be shared with the world. So anybody who needed yeah. the archive, he gave them access to it. And so and people used it in multiple um multiple things um, in multiple um you know books and research and all the stuff that we know that we see today <laughs> that we benefit yeah. from and so i i think of lynn conway's work in that same kind of way where it is so ingrained in our culture that our culture if it didn't exist mm-hmm. our culture would look so different and so that's why yes. it was super, super important for me to bring her up because, you know, in we talk about the contributions of Black queer people in like the social justice, social justice space, space. but I, I feel it's important for us to talk about all queer people and their contribution to the world because it's unfair if any of us are being erased from the narrative, whether black, white, whatever we are. Um, we, I think it's important for us to know that queer people have been out here contributing to things for, you know, we, you know, forever. <laughs> yeah. We've been around forever. Yeah. So I'm really into my techie side, of course, is like you, you know, podcasting, YouTube, da, da, da. of course, that shit. But I'm also into gaming. And what I found was really, really cool. Um, in 2019, the very first game <laughs> that had a um, trans character, like a leading character, was a trans man. A tra- Like a leading character of the game was a trans man. It was called... I think it was called Tell Me Why. Tell Me Why. And it came out on Xbox. So Microsoft made it. And it was made by this French studio called um, Don't Nod. And it literally starred, the main character was a trans man. And I had never heard of this game until I started. I knew you were coming on. And I was looking like, is there any games with trans people characters? And it literally came out. It was created in 2019. Ain't that wild? You said it's called Tell Me Why? Tell me why. And that it was is on wild. Xbox. Um, tell me why. The latest narrative adventure from the French studio Don't Nod stars a trans man on Xbox. I was like, wow, I ain't never heard of this game. Why nobody talk about this? <laughs> yeah, I want to check that out and see what that's like. Definitely, definitely check that out. Because I think I think I mean, I already played it, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> So tell the people where they can find you. Um, I'm on Facebook uh, at uh, Johnny Bonaducci. I'm on uh, Instagram, Black King Johnny. Um, I think that's it. Okay. I am going to put them links in the bottom for y'all to um, check, check Walter out. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, you are one of, you're just one of the people that I have found fascinating since I have been on this like internet journey and, you know, to see you succeed and see you just out here flourishing. That is what I love to see. I love to see black trans people out here just kind of doing their thing. And, you know, I, I it, it just makes me feel good. It makes me feel, um, 
I just makes me, it makes me feel like we're going in the right direction. <laughs> it makes me feel like, you know what I'm saying? Cause there's somebody that is going to be looking at you or somebody, um, one day that is going to be looking at you even, and maybe not in your work. Cause you, you know, you kind of stealth at work, but somebody who knows you personally, that that is going to inspire them to do more or be themselves. And I think that's, um, I think that's just lets me know that we're in this right direction because it's more and more examples of the diversity of who we are, being who we are, being free as who we are. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. All right. Y'all make sure y'all check him out. The links are going to be in the bottom and I will see y'all next week. All right. Have a wonderful night. Too. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We'll be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamond, S-T-Y-L-Z, at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing's going to be all right. <laughs>